Welcome to Solid Steps Radio. This is Chad Russell, co-host here with Kurt Souter of Further Still Ministries. How are you doing this morning, buddy? Chad, I'm doing super, man. You're looking good. Thank you. Yeah, on this uh, spring morning. Yes, it is uh, two weeks before Derby. Yeah, here we are. Man, it means it's going to snow at some point. <laughs> you know, as it always happens around here. If you're new to Kentucky, you'll realize that it's 81 day. And, and I was heard somebody the other day, just this, this morning coming in, taping the show. We taped this on a Tuesday morning, but there was a guy talking about in Colorado. They they had 70 something degrees. Yeah. And then yeah. the next day they were two feet of snow. Yep. So my brother was out there. Is that right? Yep. Yikes. So, okay. So. Uh, we are a show for men by men. If you're just listening to this show and you're just flipping on your radio, uh, we, we're a show for men by men. We talk about men's stuff. We talk about being a husband. We talk about being a father. We talk about being a businessman. And we talk about just being a man in general, right? And so we try to talk about it from a guy's perspective and, and a couple knuckleheads with the radio. We just talk about it from, <laughs> from a guy's perspective. And so something that it's hard for me to believe. I looked it up in the beginning of this book here that I have in front of me. In 2001, that's 15 years ago, that's almost 20 years ago, this book that I have in front of me came out. And it was, it took the business world by storm. It sure did. And if, if you're listening right now and you, you're in the business world, or you're in sales, or you're in any type of leadership, you almost know exactly what book I'm talking about right now. The author is Jim Collins and the book is Good to Great. Good to Great. And it is just an iconic book that it has been the book of this generation, right? Yep. 2001. In fact, it, well, I was at a church conference uh, years ago, probably probably 10 years ago, and uh, it was uh, Jim Collins was there to speak and promoting the, the book, Good to Great. Right. And uh, he is not on the show today, by the way, for those who are <laughs> thinking that I'm setting up Jim Collins, Jim's not on the show. But, but, but we got somebody who's, you know, please, just he's, uh, he's going to be the next Jim Collins. But anyway, but the reason I brought this book up was because he brought up a, a, something that was just totally eye-opening to the executive and the corporate world. It talked about level five leadership, okay? And for those of you who are not familiar with the book, it's worth the read. I mean, again, just go by, read the book. Yes. But it says here, here's a little uh, segment of the uh, portion of this book. It says, level five leaders channel their ego needs away from themselves into, into the larger go of building a great company. It's not that level five leaders have no ego or self-interest. Instead, they're incredibly ambitious, but their ambition is first and foremost for the institution and not themselves. And there were people, Fortune 500 eggheads around the world who were feverishly taking notes and going, that's very uh, interesting, level five leadership, putting other people ahead of yourself. Wow. You know, and like, we're like looking around going, man, they've been kind of talking about that for 2000 years. But there's somebody who's a level five leader talking about really, really long time modeled this. (laughs) So this book came up with the, I was the idea that I thought about of our guest today, who's going to talk about unpacking that kind of idea. We're not here to talk about this book, but to talk about some principles that he's been studying over the years. And so, yeah, and and really what we're going to talk about is, let me read this verse, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. And Mm -hmm. it's right out of Philippians chapter two, talking about Jesus and what, talking about a level five leader. Mm -hmm. Wow. Right. And so, but we've got uh, my dear friend, Brad Shuck. And it's great to have you, brother. Man, thank you so much for having me. This is the first time someone's ever paralleled me with Jim Collins, so I'm gonna take this as a huge compliment right now. <laughs> well, you know, hey, we, well, you know what? We 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 believe in you, and what? what and what? And you know what? God's using you, man. Yeah, uh, you. It's it's really cool. Thank um, you. So, Brad, you are a professor down at UVL. Yep. 
And uh, what do you teach down there? Man, I teach in a program called Organizational Leadership and Learning. I um, we I teach at all levels of the institution, undergraduate, graduate, and I run our PhD program right now. And uh, I get the I teach leadership classes, research methods. It's great fun, man. Mm. Love it. Okay, so and you, you you grew up on the other side of Churchill Downs. Yeah, man. And you married Angie. Yeah, way out of my league, <laughs> way up, way up. And so how did how do you how do you go from uh, growing up on the other side of Churchill Downs and becoming U of L professor? What happened? Yeah. Man, so I grew up off the backside of the Churchill Downs, off Southern Parkway, and um, how it happens is you have great family, mm-hmm. you have great family support, great mom, great dad. Um, I went to uh, Western Kentucky University, uh, where I got my undergraduate and graduate degree. I went to Western Kentucky because I believed it to be the only school in the state that would take me. <laughs> so I graduated from a great school, great high school here in the in the city, but I graduated at kind of the bottom of my class, and so. Uh, for many years, I just thought I was kind of I was dumb and couldn't. School wasn't for me. It wasn't. It wasn't going to be my thing. And so, uh, one day, uh, it was my first semester at Western Kentucky. I was walking under the bridge of the library. Anybody's been to the hill knows where this is. And so I'm walking under that bridge, and it was back when they gave paper report cards. And I was like, well, this is a moment of truth. My dad was real clear. Like you either you either make the grades or you're coming home, right? And so tore open that report card and I had a 3.5 and I, guys I hadn't seen a 3.5 since like kindergarten so you're kind of like me you were in the top 90% of your high school class that's, that's exactly. if you don't get that joke you're probably that's there with us I was absolutely in the club yeah and so man from then on like I just believed in myself like okay I can do this I can do this I I, I am not done. I'm not an idiot I can do this um met my wife my sophomore year best thing that ever happened to me i mean angie uh i mean she just shielded me she transformed me i mean in just amazing ways it's been a great life partner and so here's how this happens so graduate from western kentucky we sell everything we own right and pack our clothes in a in a 19 I think it was a 2001 silver Honda Accord and drove to Miami. And our parents thought we were crazy. And they were 100% correct about that. <laughs> Absolutely nuts. And so I ended up at Florida International University. Angie and I both worked down there. And um, I had just graduated with my master's degree. And uh, this, I know this is going to sound hard to believe, but I was bored. I Angie was working on her graduate degree. And I was watching movies on Lifetime or something, right? Like, I, I didn't know what to do with my time. And so I had a, a faculty mentor that said, hey, why don't you just take a class? You know, take one doctoral class. And so I did. And uh, and one class becomes two. And then you get to a dissertation. And hmm. God willing, you know, you pray your way through those things, man. And <laughs> God gives you the strength. And I'm real upfront. Like I didn't write that. God wrote that. That's God's words. He He allowed me to be the vessel for that, and uh, graduated. And we moved back to Louisville. Angie worked for Cozair Children's Medical Center for a little while, and I was unemployed and uh, quit my job in Miami, moved back home, and because uh, we were expecting our first and only Maddie, Maddie Grace, and um, mm. uh, opportunity opened up at U of L and. And God opened that door, man. It's been incredible. It's been a now great you, ride. Now you've been there how long now? I've been there six years, man. Wow. Yes, I know. They keep me around there. <laughs> it's shocking to you me. Get, and, and, and you've you've had some really cool opportunities mm-hmm. to um, yeah. speak. Uh, you, you've, you've talked with companies really all over the world. Yeah. Talk, I, talk with 
Tell us yeah. what's been going on there. Well, I've uh, I've had a chance been to London twice um, and worked with uh, some universities, London School of Business, Parliament over there. I've been down to Panama, spoken at the Panama Canal and to their team down there. And we just recently, my wife and I took a trip to Barcelona where I, I did a, a presentation at the International Leadership Association. And the, the ILA, International Leadership Association, is the world's premier leadership consortium for academics and practitioners where they, they bring this together and they blend all this stuff up. So we were down there talking about this idea of compassionate leadership leadership and what that means. And so our team at the university uh, has been kind of focused on that over the last 18 months. So we're just kind of unpacking that and talking about what that means. And, and you you really have dug into that. Yeah, man. And that's, I mean, uh, you, you shared before, just while we were this morning early, Yeah. Uh, the, the, those two words don't no, we, we don't think of those two words, compassionate and leadership together. Yeah. You know, in my in my line of work, it's not often you come up with a new idea. Like there's a lot of stuff that's been done out there. Right. So I, my job is to research and write and to teach. And there's books and books and books and books written about if you go to Barnes and Noble. I mean, there's hundreds, there's thousands of books that have been written on leadership. You'd be hard pressed to find the two those two words, compassionate and leadership put together. And I was shocked to find that, I mean, there was literally nothing on that. And I think it's because people were, they didn't understand how those two ideas went together. And you, you guys, we were talking about it earlier where with Jim Collins is talking about the level five leader and we're talking about Jesus and, and the way that he modeled and he put other people first. That's just traditionally not the way that we think about leadership. And researchers and academics have a way of kind of messing all that stuff up because we get so dug into the science. There's oftentimes not some practical application that we can do. And so it was really very important for us that when we dig into this idea of compassion and I'm standing in front of a Fortune 50 company telling them that their leaders need to act with dignity. I mean, to treat, I mean, think about how simple that is, right? To treat other people with dignity. Philippians 2. <laughs> Man, that changes, that changes companies. It does. Because people don't get that. Oftentimes at work, we miss the idea of dignity. We understand it conceptually. We understand it in our mind. We get it in our heart. But the practice of that can be hard because we expect something giant, big to happen to move us. That we need a dignity movement at work. No, you just need to, you just need to treat people well. You need to say hi in the morning. You need to treat when, when the when the person who's cleaning the office building walks by in the morning, you need to say hi. Man, I was at the university one morning, early one morning. It was like six o'clock in the morning. I had to get there super early. And ran into the person that cleans our building. And he and I was working on this big project and I had a deadline I had to hit. He came to my, my door and uh, he said, hey, how are you? Man, I didn't have time to talk to him. You know what I did? Mm -hmm. I turned around. Hey, I'm good. How are you? You doing all right this morning? We had a 45 minute conversation about his life. Mm. Now, I could have missed that opportunity to do that. And we all have. And we all have. I've done it many, many times. I've messed this up way more times than I've gotten it right. And companies struggle with this, man. Mm -hmm. Companies struggle with things like integrity and empathy and authenticity. Wow, we're gonna we're gonna unpack that some more because that is powerful stuff in the workplace, mm -hmm. in life, and uh, even at home. Yep. But For those of you listening, we're gonna take it from the Fortune 50 companies. And we're gonna work it all the way down to how does this affect you and me when we go home. And we're gonna take talk about that in the next segment about is uh, Brad's interaction with companies around the world and talking about this and from a corporate standpoint. So uh, thanks for listening to Solid Steps Radio. We're going to take a break and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Solid Steps Radio. This is Chad Russell, co-host along here with Kurt Souter of 
Further Still Ministries. And if you want to hear this show in its entirety or any of our past shows, we've got all kinds of places you can go to. You can go to furtherstill.org, and there's a spot you can just click on and listen to all of our past shows. You can go to soundcloud.com. You can go to iTunes. You can go to our Facebook page, and you just type in Solid Steps Radio, and you will find us and listen to all of our past shows. If you're just catching this, we are talking with Brad Shuck of the University of Louisville, and he is a professor of organizational leadership and learning. And um, a lot of people will find a lot of things that are uh, in what he's talking about we can incorporate, especially in the business world. And we talked a little bit before that, before the break about how he talks to big corporations about this compassionate leadership. Yeah, so Brad, tell us, uh, you, you've had some clients kind of all mm-hmm. over the world. Um, who are who are some of the folks you work with? Yeah, man. Off the top of my head, companies like Bank of America, GM, Cisco, uh, AT and T, LinkedIn, Eli Lilly, um, folks that are uh, in the southern part of the United States, northern part. I mean, all, uh, literally all over the United States. And uh, you, they call you in. They do. And they, what do they want from you? And they, they, they're calling me in for one of two reasons. They either have a great opportunity and they want to seize that opportunity. They see an opportunity to change the business culture, to, to develop some kind of a competitive advantage. And, and they want somebody to come in and help them kind of capitalize on that. Or they contact me because there, there's some pain going on. There's a lot, there's huge turnover. Uh, people aren't raising their hands in meetings. Creativity has plummeted. People are showing up for work, but they quit and stayed a long time ago. We call that warm chair attrition. You show up, you warm your chair up, but you don't really get a whole lot of work done that day and so folks call me in to kind of help them solve those problems so what so okay so you so gm calls you in ford calls you in yeah. what 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 do you tell them yeah man you know um the the, the first thing I, I try to help them understand is it's the little it's the little actions it's the little decisions so it it isn't so much about having a campaign or movement or so, one of the things we talk about a lot is this idea of employee engagement. This is a hot topic. Everybody wants more engagement, more engagement, more, but folks really don't know what that is and how that builds over time. And we want this at church too. We, we need, so let's take this from a church. We want volunteer engaged. We want our volunteers to be more engaged. Well, why do people do that? Why would people voluntarily give of their time and energy when they could be giving it someplace else, right? So this is an unbalanced way of being. If I'm volunteering at church, I can't also be doing something else some other place it's not physically possible for me to do that That's right so when a business asks that of their employees they're making a significant and pretty steep ask and so uh, i help them understand how the little things that they do every day send the most powerful message of transformation for their company you want to move the needle on turnover you want to move the needle on creativity it really is getting back into the way that we treat people at work, the messages that they get at work, and what people do with those messages. See, people don't engage when they don't see meaning and when they don't feel safe and when they don't feel adequately equipped. People have a tendency to emotionally and physically just back away from the table. And, it re- and really, it doesn't matter if you're a Fortune 500 company no. or you're running, you get you got 10 people in your in your office and you're just running a small little business here in town or whatever. No, and I would, sus- I, here's my suggestion, man. The, the the folks that have 10 people in the office mm-hmm. this is the this is critical because if I'm at GM I've got 10,000 people or any Bank of America or anybody I've got 10,000 people if one guy doesn't raise their hand in a meeting that's okay we can move past that but if I'm in a room of 10 people and the the viability of my business depends on folks being engaged with their work and being present in the moment 
and one, a couple people don't raise their hand because they don't feel engaged, man, I've missed a significant opportunity to capitalize on something. Okay, so let's let's talk specifics mm. on, because really, this all really comes from the life of Jesus. It does, yeah. And it's right into the scriptures. But let's talk real practically. Mm. When you say it's the little things, yeah. des- describe that. You mentioned dignity in the first segment. Yeah. T- uh, um, talk some more about some of the small little things that leaders can do, run, p- business people, people who are in, you know, who are over other people. Yeah. And it, it, just describe that. Well, there, so I'll give you two two examples. One is around the idea of, of being present. So presence. So when we talk about compassionate leadership, compassionate leadership or compassionate leaders are present in the moment. There are six things that a compassionate leader does. They work with a sense of integrity. They have a sense of accountability and hold their team accountable. They have empathy. They're authentic. They're present in the moment and they treat other people with dignity. Those are the six things that we define as the behaviors of a compassionate leadership. So let's let's take the idea of presence for a minute. How many times have we been at work and we've been talking to somebody and they've been they've been they're here, they're looking at me, but they're not with me. They're thinking about their email, they're thinking about the next meeting, they're prepping for something down the road. Mm-hmm. We sense that, man. I mean, when we're in relationships with people and think about this at home, right? My wife knows when I'm not listening to her. <laughs> oh, yes, she I does. I mean, she knows yeah. too. Yeah, I know. <laughs> How do they know that? It's shocking, right? And she, and you know what? You know what she does? She stops talking. Mm-hmm. Should are, are we surprised by that? So at work, I'm not. I'm not present in the moment, and somebody stops giving their best ideas. Somebody stops coming to their one-on-one meetings. Somebody stops raising their hands in the meeting, and we're surprised by that. Mm. No, 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 no. We should expect that. Being present in the moment is huge. It's about giving people, it's about valuing people in that moment and being and loving where you are right now. And so when I'm at home, if I really, if I want to lead at home and I want to, I want to lead at business, when my wife's talking to me or my, my five-year-old's talking to me, I'm looking at them. I'm listening to them. Now, my wife will tell you I don't do this well. All right. So I just want to, I'm not suggesting that I do this any better than any other guy out there, but I understand the power of the implication of what happens when I don't do that. Mm. Let's take my five-year-old little girl. She's looking at daddy and daddy's checking his email Mm. at work at nine o'clock at night instead of reading bedtime stories, instead of looking at her artwork, instead of, you know, five-year-olds do, they jump around the house and they want you to watch that's important, man. Mm. So the message I'm giving to my little girl at that moment is my email is so much more important than you. My, this, this spreadsheet is so much this And the truth of the matter is when she goes to bed, I can get back to that. What I need to be doing, if I'm going to be a compassionate leader in my house, I should shift my attention over because the message I'm sending people, what I don't do that is that I don't value you. And when people don't feel valued at home or in the workplace, brother, they push away from the table. And we cannot be surprised by that. Mm. Mm. So the Bible says to honor one another above yourself. So uh, do you, do, I got to ask here, though, uh, the opportunity and pain yeah. part. Um, mm. wh- you said the companies come to you in those two places. Yes. So here's the pain piece. Give me, the, give me a couple examples. That's, of that's, so let's talk about accountability, right? Mm. Accountability is awkward because it's hard. And it means sometimes delivering tough messages to people. So uh, at, from time to time, I'll work with a leader who needs to deliver a really tough message, but they won't do it 
because they don't they don't want to deal with that moment of someone being upset or hurt. Here's what we say to those folks. The most uncompassionate thing that you can do is to not tell them and to let them just go on. Right. So I'm a faculty member. My At the end of the semester, my, I have to give out grades. I could give everybody A's, <laughs> right? And it would be super easy and everybody would love me. Everybody's happy. Everybody's happy. But man, would anybody learn anything? No, and that's my job, right? Like I have got to hold people accountable. That's that's part. A leader's job in the workplace is this sense of accountability. In addition to you hold people accountable with dignity, right? You, you, you help. You, you're not screaming at them. You're, you're not, not, you're not right. being a jerk about it. No, you're delivering a message of truth. And uh, I can't remember who said this, but I, I, w- I was, it was, it was a church one, uh, one afternoon and maybe it was like Greg Allen. And he said, some people just need people to speak truth in their life. You just need to speak truth. And that's true. We don't have that enough. What happens on a team? So a place, uh, a, bi- a big corp- fortune 50 company, what happens when you don't hold people accountable? is people people learn that over time well chad's not being held accountable so i don't i don't really have to do this there's not really a deadline here right and what ends up happening is you erode the emotional energy of the other people on your team and you begin to bring down the performance level of your team holding people accountable i get is is hard and awkward compassionate leaders do the hard things they do the things that are uncomfortable but they do it in a way that shows empathy and that shows dignity. And I think this bleeds over into the, into the home as well. You know, we, I don't, I don't like having to tell my daughter no about something, (laughs) right? I don't like that because she gets mad at me. And I, as a dad, I don't, I want her to love me all the time. What's been the most interesting thing for me as a new dad, and my daughter's five, is that I'll have to sometimes deliver a tough message to Maddie. And I'll say, Maddie, we can't do this, it's not a choice. And there's a consequence for that choice, right? We'll follow through on the consequence of that choice. Mm. You know what she comes back and does? She hugs my leg. Mm-hmm. She knows daddy loves her. Daddy has her very best interest in mind. We don't talk about love at work very often. We don't talk about those kinds of concepts at work. But holding people accountable sends a message of care. Look, I care enough about you to tell you because for the past 15 years, somebody's passed you along. And I'm going to sit down and we're going to work through this together. Well, let's, uh, we're going to take a break. Yep. But I want, to, I want to talk about that a little bit more in depth. Mm-hmm. Because how do we show compassion and do it with accountability? How, how do we do that specifically? Mm-hmm. And we need to take a break right now. Yeah, we want to take a break. Before we take a break, we want to thank our sponsors, Carol Rogers, Carpet One. And we want to thank Ellen and Credit Union, both of those uh, organizations, for stepping up. And showing us compassion and we, by writing a check uh, we are and helping so, sponsor our we're show. We're so grateful. <laughs> we're very <laughs> thankful for that. So we're going to take a break. Be back uh, here in a minute with Brad Shuck of the University of Louisville on Solid Steps Radio. 